Well, hello friends, my name is Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge, and it's a privilege to welcome you into this space together. And welcome to November. That means that we are almost eight months into this global pandemic, and if you're anything like me, you are reaching the end of some of your reserves. Patience is running thin, fatigue is running high, and that's usually a recipe, for me anyways, to do things that tick people off or to be annoyed or deeply hurt by something that someone has done to me. So we thought as we come into this season that it's a good time to revisit the notion of forgiveness. What is forgiveness? How do we give and receive forgiveness well? How do you know if an apology that someone offers is genuine? What's the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation? And is it really possible to forgive and to forget. And doesn't that mean that justice will not be done? Well, we're going to dive into those questions and more this November as we launch into a teaching series called Sorry, Learning to Forgive. So as we start things off, I would like you to meet two friends of mine, Peppa Pig and George Pig, beloved children's characters from the UK. And they're going to help explain a little bit about the notion of forgiveness. Let's just say George, because George is the younger brother, does something to tick Peppa off. That event, whatever it is, maybe it's an unkind comment about Peppa's leniency about mask wearing, or a repost of a QAnon conspiracy theory on George's social media feed, or a sideways comment about Peppa's propensity for putting on pandemic pounds. Whatever happens between them, it, it forms a barrier like a blockage between the two of them. And the relationship no longer flows freely and easily because there is a barrier. And the barrier exists because of the wrong actions of one party toward another. And until the barrier is dealt with, either it's removed or it's covered or it goes away, their relationship is strained and broken. So today we're going to look at a biblical text where not one, but two barriers are removed. There's a cultural barrier and also a spiritual barrier. And the text that we're going to look at helps us understand the journey toward being fully forgiven and fully restored into right relationship with God and others. And it should serve as a model for us to live into and learn what it means to be fully forgiven. So let's dig in, shall we? We're looking today at Acts chapter 10. And the book of Acts is an account of the spread of the good news out from the earliest group of Christ followers in Judea to the very edges of the ancient Mediterranean world. So it's part travelogue, part sermons, part mission manual, all good stuff. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 10. And Acts 10 begins with the story of a man named Cornelius. We'll pick up the story in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household, and he gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. So let's pause here for a moment. The introduction of this Cornelius character 
would have been very exciting to the readers of the original narrative. Roman centurions had a lot of status in the ancient world, so they would have been immediately as a reader impressed by this particular individual. And the author of Acts, a medical doctor by the name of Luke, takes great care to note a few specific characteristics about this Cornelius guy. First of all, he says he is devout. He's a God-fearing man. Luke avoids the use of the word God-fearer, which is a more technical term for someone who's already in a personal relationship with the Creator. Luke says he's God-fearing. In other words, he's a spiritually curious individual. Maybe you find yourself in that category, and maybe that's why you've joined us or stumbled into this space together. You might believe that God exists. You might believe that God could be interacted with. Cornelius certainly believed those things. He believed that and worshiped one God. He prayed. He did good deeds for others. So there's really a lot to love about this guy. But right away, we encounter a problem. Actually, there's two problems. And the first one is that Cornelius is not religious enough to be welcomed into a community of worship by other pious Jews. He's spiritual, but he cannot be religious. There's a barrier that's put up for him culturally. See, he's a non-Jew. He doesn't follow the Jewish food laws. He's not following God in the quote-unquote right way to be welcomed into the synagogue. And the second thing that we learn, and we actually learn this later on in Acts chapter 11, verse 14, is that there's a barrier for Cornelius spiritually as well. He's turned away from some things, but he has yet to fully turn toward the living God. And part of that is that he just doesn't yet know fully how. He has yet to hear the message of the good news. But God's about to change all of that by God's grace. Let's keep reading in Acts chapter 10, verse 3. One afternoon, about 3 o'clock, Cornelius had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa. Summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon, a tanner, who lives near the seashore. Cornelius's daytime vision of this angelic messenger highlights what might be called for us the more light principle. See, the question often gets asked, well, what will God do about those people who are devout? Maybe they pray, maybe they're even monotheistic, meaning they worship one God. What is God's response to those kinds of people? Commentator William Larkin Jr. says it this way, quote, Cornelius has responded in faith and obedience to the light that he has received as evidenced by his piety. He fears the one true God, prays to him regularly, acts in love to the needy among God's people. And such obedience is not a works righteousness that earns salvation. This we can see by God's response. God does not declare Cornelius saved, rather he grants him more light by which he and his household then might be saved. 
God's response is embodied in the command to send for the messenger who carries the gospel, the essential more light, end quote. See, in some ways, the better question about what are those who don't have the light that we have is a question that needs to drive our actions and our thinking is this one. What have we done with the light that we have received? See, this is one of the reasons, friends, why here at Jericho we are so committed to our global mission work. We have people like Steve and Ali Nicole and their family who work with the Canadian Institute of Linguistics to equip and train workers for global Bible translation so that more light can come into the heart languages of people all over the world who have yet to hear the good news in their own language. Cornelius has received some light and he's open to more light and so god in god's mercy sends him an angelic messenger and invites cornelius to send for a human messenger a guy named peter who's in a city around 30 miles to the south let's pick up the story again in verse 7. as soon as the angel was gone Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier one of his personal attendants and he told them what had happened and he sent them off to Joppa. We're going to jump over Peter's own angelic vision in this chapter, but suffice to say it's a powerful text and would be fruitful reading for you outside of our time together. But we'll pick up the narrative again in verse 29, where Peter arrives at Cornelius's home and asks, why did you send for me? And so Cornelius relates his angelic vision and says in verse 33, so I sent for you at once and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here waiting before God to hear the message that the Lord has given to you. So let's pause for another moment and assess the situation. Peter is a devout and faithful Jew. He's gone against all of his instincts and all of his cultural and religious conditioning to even come to be open to going to Cornelius's home. It isn't technically against any Old Testament laws, but it's very much forbidden by the rabbis who were responsible to interpret divine revelation. So even going into Cornelius's home, and accepting this invitation is going to put Peter into deep trouble. He's crossing a barrier that for his peers is almost unthinkable. And I think that's why he brings a bunch of people with him. He knows he's going to need some backup if this stuff gets back to head office in Jerusalem. And yet as he starts into his speech in verse 34, he begins to get clarity as to what God might be up to in this moment the bringing of forgiveness to those who need it. Let's look at verse 34 together. Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And you know what happened through Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 
And we apostles are witnesses of all that he did throughout Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on the cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. And then God allowed Jesus to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. See friends, this is the heart of the message that we call the gospel, the good news, that there is the possibility of forgiveness for sins. That barrier, the barrier between God and humanity can be removed, not just in a general way, but in a very personal, very specific way. And I don't know what your experience in your faith journey is like, but the notion that you could have a clean slate, that you don't have to live under the weight of wrong things that you have done, to be confident that you are fully and wonderfully forgiven, that is a precious, precious gift. And friend, if you have yet to receive that gift, I wanna say that today is your day. I want you to reach out. If you're attending via our church online platform, raise your hand to indicate that you want to say yes to a relationship with Jesus and we'll pray with you. And if you're watching non-live or on our YouTube channel, I want you to reach out and email me and I'd love to connect with you and help you take that next step on your journey with Jesus. See, the phrase, friends, that Peter uses here is a powerful one. He says that God shows no favoritism. And this comes from an ancient Near Eastern practice that still occurs in some parts of the world to this day. Let me use George to illustrate this for us. See, if you're in a setting where you're meeting a person who is socially superior to you, often you lowered your face or you actually would bow down and sink to the earth if the person that you encountered raised the face up to meet you, that was a sign of recognition and esteem. So I know, for example, when we go to Tanzania, we encounter this all the time. The kids that we work with who have albinism, a genetic condition, they've been told that they are worthless. And so reflectively, in, in their posture, they look down. And over the past decade, I cannot count how many times I've gently and lovingly taken a child's chin in my hands, raised their eyes to look into mine, and gently told them, you are loved and you are safe. There is no barrier here in our relationship. And when someone does that, it's a powerful moment. And Peter takes this image and he applies this quality to God's dealings, not just with the Jews, but with people from every nation, every ethnos, every racial, every ethnic, every cultural grouping that humans can imagine or construct. And Peter says that persons in every ethnos who fear God and who do right are acceptable, are welcomed by God. Their faces 
are gently and lovingly raised to look into the eyes of their Creator who loves them and who welcomes them. Now, some people take this verse to mean that God welcomes everyone and that no further action is required on anyone's part. And this is a kind of Christian universalism. But one clue that this doesn't allow us to divorce this verse from its context is found in the next chapter. In Acts 11, verse 14, where Peter is recounting the events of that short-term cross-cultural service and learning trip, he says that he still had to go and tell Cornelius and everyone in Cornelius's homes, not that they were saved, but how they could be saved. In other words, the light that they had was good, but it was not sufficient. Their piety, being a good person, doing good deeds, giving to the poor, even praying was not enough for Cornelius, and friend, it is not enough for you either. Full forgiveness is available, but being a good person is not the pathway that leads to that destination. There is more light that you have yet to encounter. So see how Peter phrases this at the end of his sermon. He says that Jesus has been appointed, God appointed Jesus to be the just judge of all, the living and the dead, and that an action is required on your part and my part. We need not only to turn away from some things, but we need to turn toward and embrace something, or rather, someone. Otherwise, we're not fully forgiven. Think about it this way. Sometimes I'm shopping online and I put something in my cart. I haven't purchased it yet. I'm in the process of doing that. But until I check out, until I complete the transaction, that thing isn't mine. It isn't coming my way. And the same thing is true with respect to forgiveness. You can stop the things that are wrong and start thinking about taking down the wall or the barrier. But until we actually embrace and make actions and attitudes that and change those things that have put that barrier up. We have not fully lived into the forgiveness that is offered to us in Jesus. See, Cornelius made his first steps toward repentance, turning away from idols, believing in God's existence. He'd even started that process of turning toward God, seeking to talk to God via prayer, seeking to please God with his financial resources like Peter talked about last weekend. But Cornelius still has not fully tended to the part about Jesus being the righteous judge of all those who have lived, are living, and will live. And friends, this is mentioned in every sermon in the book of Acts, that there is coming a day when God will deal justly with the world and with you and with me. And so Peter gives them the answer to this dilemma in his sermon slash history lesson slash personal experience testimony. He says that, Within the framework of God's work of a particular people group, the ancient human people, God sent a message of peace and forgiveness that was accomplished through the life, death, and resurrection of the second person of the triune God, Jesus of Nazareth. But the radical nature of this message was that the forgiveness offered was not to stop with one nation. It was good news of great joy, which shall be for all peoples. Jesus 
it says in verse 43, is the one that all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in Jesus will have their sins forgiven through his name. So as we conclude our teaching time together, friends, let me summarize in four steps how full forgiveness came into the life of Cornelius and can or perhaps has come into your life as well. Step one, turn away from what is wrong. Stop doing things that harm yourself and others and put up barriers. That's what the Bible calls sin. It's a missing the mark, taking a wrong turn, living out of alignment with God's vision for wholeness and for human flourishing. Step two, turn toward what is right. Cornelius began this journey embracing a life of generosity. It's one of our core values here at Jericho. He began to be prayerful and devout, but even then that was not yet enough. Step three, he needed to open his ears and hear the message about Jesus. Romans 10 verse 14 says it this way, but how can people call on God to save them unless they believe in God? And how can they believe in God if they've never heard about God? And how can they hear about God unless someone tells them? See friend, people need to hear in order to respond. And that's why we believe here at Jericho in the preaching regularly of God's word. It's why we engage in personal evangelism. The youth are going through youth alpha these days to learn more about what that means and how to be bold in speaking that up. Step three. Step four, Cornelius needed to open his heart and to believe in, to trust in Jesus. See, friend, you and I can say all kinds of things, but when we believe that something is true, we're going to act in congruence with that belief. You believe that when I put my Bible on this table, it's going to support it. You believe that when you sit down on your chair, it will support you, and so you sit down. And that's what this text is inviting us to remember, that belief is living in congruence with reality and with what we say we want to be true. So let me ask you, friend, where are you at on this journey? Maybe you're a seeker. Maybe you're wondering if this whole Jesus thing has any merit to it whatsoever. And I want you to know if that's you, you are very welcome here in this place. But I also want you to know that our invitation to you is not merely to be a part of a warm group of people. It is to an invitation to a transformative encounter with the living God. See, maybe you're currently living under the weight of sin and shame, and you're feeling that something that you have done has put a barrier between you and God. Friends, I want you to take the time when we're moving into our time of response to confess that. Invite God's forgiveness to yet again flow and flood your heart and your life. Maybe, friend, you've been walking a road with God a long, long time, and you actually begin to forget what that weight feels like. I want to ask you to invite God to open your eyes so you can see people around you who maybe on the outside look like they have it all together, but who are struggling under the burden of guilt and shame. I want you to ask God to grant you the spiritual insight and the boldness to gently take their head up and point them to Jesus. Maybe you invite them to join us here online. Maybe you invite them to talk to and with you about how they're really doing in this season. I wanna challenge you to be a good news kind of person this week.